Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me. You're listening to Conversations with Cynthia, and we are every Sunday at 12 p.m. for one hour. So I appreciate you taking this time to just spend time and get some new information and some maybe encouragement, inspiration. And so today we're going to talk about this issue of trust. And that is such a complicated, very complex word. And it's really hard sometimes to think about this word trust and what trust means. And a lot of times when we say trust, some people get a warm feeling. Sometimes when we say the word trust, it evokes a lot of painful feelings because maybe you've been let down. Maybe you've trusted someone and they've deceived you, disappointed you. And so we're going to really delve into this whole idea of trust. And do you trust me? Do you trust me? Can I trust you? So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 7, it says, Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. So trust God from the bottom of your heart. And Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He said, and he will do it. Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? So has he said it? And if he said it, will he not do it? Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? So trust is something that's very close to God's heart. And I want you to think about how you feel when someone trusts you. How do you feel when your children trust you? How do you feel that your pet trusts you? Your friends, maybe your colleagues. I always am wanting to encourage and ensure that all of my patients can trust me. Because if they can't trust me, they can't heal. So I, I kind of made up this saying, this, this kind of thought, and it says, trust is a word that I understand until I actually have to do it. Does that make sense to you? It, it really made sense to me. I thought, you know, I understand the word trust until I actually have to do it. So think of this as well. My trust always needs to start and stop with God, not in me. I need to remember that I can't trust me like I can trust God. God is trustworthy, always. I am not. I trust in God as he is making me into a more trustworthy person. It's amazing to me that God trusts me. I know me. And I really strive to be trustworthy. It's very, in a very important value to me. 
And I'm so thankful that in spite of myself, God continues to trust me. So let's look at a couple of sayings. I, I love, you know, I love sayings. This is from Warren Buffett. He says it takes 20 years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. You need to protect it. You need to treasure it. How about Ernest Hemingway? This is what he says. The best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. It's a risk. We need to take risks. And I love this one by Ronald Reagan. He says, trust, but verify. So what he's essentially saying is we don't want to be naive or lazy. We don't just want to blindly trust like a child has to. We want to trust, and as we're trusting, we're verifying. That's what adults do. So Ralph Waldo Emerson, this is what he says. Wise men put their trust in ideas and not in circumstances. I think that's amazing. It doesn't mean we don't analyze, take seriously the circumstances. But the idea, if the idea is trustworthy, then we want to trust in the idea even if circumstances aren't supporting it. Because you have to remember, the idea has to be supported and walked out by humans. So it might take some trial and error. And here's one that I wrote. I wrote this one actually in 2018. A wise man puts his trust firstly in God, then in people. I first trust God, then people. Which means me. I first trust God, then I might trust me. And then I trust others. You see, humans are always a risk. However, they are worth the risk. Think of what God did with Jesus. This is how important humans are. God took a risk on humans. And see, we follow our Lord and give the gift of trust to mistake-making fallen people. Jesus trusted his disciples, even when they were not always trustworthy. He knew what Judas was doing all along. He wasn't naive to Judas. He trusted Peter. He knew what Peter was going to do. Because, see, faith, his faith was first. And ultimately, his faith was in his Father, who is always refining, always developing, and always forgiving his people. So this is, a, I'm going to give you a great way to think about this. When we talk about faith and trust, because many times faith and trust are used interchangeably, some believe that the Old Testament uses the word trust and it kind of translated in the New Testament to the word faith. Maybe. I think there's some, some merit to that. But when I really looked at this and really studied this, I liked what I found in terms of seeing that faith, the word faith, is a noun and trust is a verb. So we have faith in God. Faith, it's a concrete, it's an issue. It's a, it's a construct. And then we walk in trust that he's going to direct our paths. So then we have faith in people. We show them our faith by trusting them. So my faith is a noun. God is good. God is righteous. God is truth. God is all love. God never lies. My faith, that's my faith. The way that I express my faith is I trust God.
So we honor God by offering trust to his people. Because if God is willing to take a risk on people, then we need to follow suit. We need to take risks on people as well. They're taking a risk on you. And what we want to work on is simply being a good risk. But it's always a risk when you interact with humans. So we're believing, as we're trusting people, trusting God's people, we're believing they will correct what may weaken our faith and trust in them. And we give them time, because humans need time. So let's look more at this concept of faith versus trust. And, and this is Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. And I read this article by Henry M. Morris um, IV, and it, it, it was really very powerful. He talks a lot about this difference between faith and trust. And he, and he really talks about that many believers today do confuse faith in God with trusting in God. And that faith really truly is a noun. It's something that you have or you possess. It's a substance. It's evidence of things hoped for and not seen. And that's that beautiful verse in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. That faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's a noun. The evidence of things not seen. And that's trust. So faith in God is a confident belief that he's the sovereign creator over all things and he can do what he claims. But trust, on the other hand, truly is a verb because it's something you do or you act upon. So faith comes first, but trust is never guaranteed. It's a willful choice. It's a deliberate action, and it can only grow out of your faith. This is as simple as you have faith that your car is going to work. So you have faith in the airplane that you're boarding. So your faith gives you the courage to board the plane. And as you're on the plane, you're trusting that it's going to get there. So there is a pretty vast difference between faith and trust if we look at it in this way. And I'm going to read you this phenomenal story that he, came, that he had come across, that, um, this, this gentleman, Henry Morris. And I love this story. It was so prolific in its, in its ability to really talk about this faith and trust issue. And this is the story of Charles Blondin and Harry Colcord. So Blondin was like the foremost tightrope walker of his time. And he gained worldwide fame in 1859. He was the first person to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So Colcord was his friend and actually his manager. And so there was this cable made entirely of hemp, and it was 1,300 feet long and two inches in diameter. diameter. This is mind-boggling to me. And it was wound around an oak tree on the American side, while on the other end it was ferried across the Niagara River, and it was, then it was secured to a Canadian rock. So to limit swaying, Colcord had stabilizing guy ropes and they affixed them like 20-foot intervals to anchor these to both banks, except for a 50-foot unreachable center, which sagged and really swayed very dangerously. So his manager, Colcord, savvy marketing, 10,000s of spectators gathered for this spectacle. Gamblers took bets on whether Blondin would fall and die. And all these vendors, I mean, they were hawking everything from lemonade to liquor. 
So this happened 5 p.m. on June 30th, 1859. Blondin started his first slow walk from America to the Canadian side. Once he passed the first center section, he broke into a run. This is, this is mind-boggling to me. He ran, ran on this tightrope, hanging over Niagara Falls. He trusted the rope. So he, he had faith in what his manager had done, and he trusted. So I'm going to finish this story on the, on the other side. Make sure you join me. I really want you to hear the rest of this story. It's very inspiring. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Look forward to talking to you on the other side. Welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining me today. And we are talking about trust. Do you trust me? Do I trust you? Do you trust God? And does God trust you? So trust, truly, what we were talking about in the, the last segment, is that trust is a verb. It's action, where faith is a noun. It's a given. So we have faith in an airplane, which causes us to be able to get on board. And as we're on board, we're trusting, we're actively trusting that this plane is going to get us where it's supposed to be, where it's supposed to be going. So we really left off in this last segment. I'm giving you this wonderful, amazing story about a tightrope walker that is one of the best stories that exemplifies faith and trust so we left off with this guy, Blondin. Charles Blondin is the tightrope walker, and Harry Colcord is his manager. And this was in 1859, and he's crossing from the American side to the Niagara side on a tightrope over Niagara Falls. And he's got this 1,300-foot-long cable made entirely of hemp, and it's only 2 inches in diameter. So the first thing, which was fascinating, as he walked out onto this two-inch diameter piece of hemp, and in the middle of this 1,300-foot rope was 50 feet of sag. This is the very middle. And what he did when he got up to that is he ran across it. He ran across it. And all the reporters, all the people that were betting, they just ate it up. There, were, there was cheers and screams. They were amazed. So he rested then, and he started back again. This time, he toted a box camera on his back. And balancing it precariously near the middle, Blondin carefully set up the camera and snapped a picture of the crowd. Then he repacked it, continued the rest of the way. That entire trip only took 23 minutes. So now he's safely back on American soil. He immediately announces a series of encore performances, each more daring than the last. And the press, I mean, the press ate it up. So this was several weeks that people were watching him do all these things on this tightrope. So the next one, Blondin, Blondin walked backward, blindfolded, and backflipped, pushed a wheelbarrow, and even cooked an omelet 
during one of the trips across this road. I mean, this is trust. This is faith. See, he had faith he could accomplish these feats, but he also trusted his abilities to complete them, and that is the key. He had faith in the tightrope. He had faith in his manager, and he trusted his abilities. See, the spectators, on, 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 you know, on the other hand, they only had faith. A different scene in Blondin's daring walk in August 1859, this is what he did. After he crossed the Canadian side, the crowd was horrified because Blondin reappeared on the tightrope with his manager, Harry Colcord, clinging to his back. A few guy ropes actually snapped during their transit, but Blondin never wavered, didn't blink an eye, safely made the crossing. And it was later reported that Blondin told his manager, Look up, Harry. Look up. You're no longer Colcord. You are Blondin. Until I clear this place, be a part of me. Mind, body, soul. If I sway, sway with me. Do not attempt to do any balancing yourself. Is that poignant when it comes to the scriptures? God is saying, look up. Look up. You're a part of me. Be a part of me. Body, mind, soul. If I move, you move. If I stop, you stop. Don't attempt to balance yourself. I mean, if that's all I got out of writing this, this particular show, it, it was hugely encouraging and insightful. See, this is the difference between faith and trust. The spectators had faith in Blondin, believed in his abilities, but only Colcord, his manager, trusted him enough to climb on his back and allow him to carry him across. This is faith in action. Do you have faith enough in God to crawl on his back and, and let him carry you across precarious places in your life? Do you trust in the Lord like that? Do you trust him to provide and care for you and to supply all your needs? Or do you place your trust and faith in your own personal resources and efforts or in other people or things or things you think you can control? See, without trust in the Lord... You will never know the joy and confidence. So we trust in the Lord in all our ways we acknowledge him, and he directs our path. So I want you to take great courage. What an example Blondin's manager made. He trusted. He had faith in Blondin, and then he trusted Blondin's ability to carry him across that tightrope, 1,300 feet long, dangling over Niagara Falls. So let's think about this. What are the areas in your life that are hard for you to trust God in? Is it hard to trust him with your future, with your health, with your kids, your finances, your friends, your job, your calling? Is it hard for you to trust that you're forgiven, that you'll be loved, that you're wanted? What are the areas that you struggle in? Because most of us as Christians, we have faith in God. We think God can do anything. But when it comes to actually trusting him and getting out on the tight rope with him, right? That's different. Sometimes we just like to watch him. And we just think he's amazing. And wow, look at all that God does. That's amazing. But are we willing 
to climb up on his back and let him carry us across what would be just like Niagara Falls. So what did Emerson tell us? He says, trust in an idea, not in circumstances. The idea is God. We trust, we have faith in God. We don't always need to look at the circumstances. We have a very trustworthy God. In fact, we're told there are 31,174 Bible verses and that Psalms 118 verse 8 is the middle verse and it reads, it's better to trust in the Lord than put your confidence in man. 31,174 verses in the Bible on trust. Trust. Because it's really important to understand God's absolute trustworthiness. His trustworthiness. And throughout the Old Testament, we're reminded of the fact that God can be trusted at all times and in all circumstances. So if you want to look up some verses on that, see Psalms 62.8, 56.3, Job 13.14, which talks about Job saying, I will not be swayed. I know who my God is. And Isaiah chapter 50, verse 10. These are verses really worth looking up. So I want to encourage you when you, to understand that in the Old Testament, there are 76 references to trusting God. This is paramount for our faith. This is truly what grounds us. God is your friend. You can jump on his back. He will carry you. He will walk you through it. He loves to do it. You can trust in the God who died for you. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment. We're going to talk more about how to be a trustworthy person. And are you trustworthy? I hear the whispers in my well, welcome back. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, and you're listening to Conversations with Cynthia. If you're just joining us, oh, I want to make sure that you're able to listen to the entire show and you can go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. Uh, the top of the page, just hit the listen button and it will take you to all the shows because I don't want you to miss the story that I talked about in the first half about this amazing trapeze walker and how that was a part of trust and faith. So what I want you to think about just as a foundational piece, when we look psychologically at the issue of trust, we have all these different psychological stages of development that humans go through as they are growing up. And these are usually from like zero to six, zero to nine, zero to 12. And then we get into the 18 and 23, and then you're a bona fide adult apparently. So the first, this is what's fascinating. This is how God makes his people. He understands what he has created. And these stages of development were created by Eric Erickson with collaboration with his wife, Joan. And this is a comprehensive psychoanalytic theory, and it, is, it has been tried and true, and it is used. And there are eight stages, and it goes all the way from infancy to adulthood. Now, all the stages are present at birth, but they only begin to unfold in the natural scheme of one's growth and development process. So I want you to think about, and I'm not going to tell you the whole entire uh, process and, and what goes on within the, the Erickson's psychological psychosocial development. But what I want you to understand is that as an infant, 
The first step is what we call trust versus mistrust. And if an infant enters into a toddler stage, which that stage is autonomy versus shame and doubt, that's when we're trying some independency, and they haven't really completed the trust versus mistrust, then he has a very difficult time with risk-taking. Because if a toddler accomplishes this ability to trust versus not trusting, and they are able to trust their caregivers implicitly, then what happens, they carry that virtue of hope into all the remaining stages of their life. So some of us had parents, caregivers, that you know, appropriately and affected, effectively handled that first step when we were brand new little babies. Some of us did not. But either way, our trust always must be firstly in God because he is the God who does not lie and he is our hope. So even if you had a difficult time growing up and your parents were not able to really help you be able to trust implicitly. And maybe they had a difficult time growing up as well. Maybe they don't understand trust. What you can do is really transfer that trust to the primary caregiver, truly, which is God. He is your father, and he is really the one you go home to. So even if we missed out on it growing up, and we have a hard time with trust, I want to encourage you to really identify your faith in God, who your God is, who he is, what he does, and then practice trust. Practice knowing what he says is true. He doesn't lie. The hardest thing is, just like an infant can't understand the world and only is able to trust their caregiver, that's really kind of where we're at as humans. This world is very big, and I have to trust God many times blindly. I just have to trust because I have faith in who he is. And many times it might even take years for it to come to fruition. But God has never let me down. He has never let me down. So you can trust in the one who died for you. So I want you to think about, do I trust myself? Do I trust others? It's natural for humans to want to trust other humans. They want to trust other humans first before they trust themselves and certainly before they trust an entity that's so intangible as God. But this is what you want to think about. We have it upside down. We want to first trust God. Then we practice being trustworthy with ourself, that we are someone we can trust. Then we are better able to discern other humans that we want to trust. And we have far more compassion and a higher tolerance for mistake making when we trust God, trust ourselves, and then humans let us down. But if we start trusting humans first and they let us down, and we can't trust ourselves because we let ourselves down, we're going to have a very difficult time trusting a God that we cannot see. So we want to make sure that we get ourselves right side up that we trust God, we make sure that we're working on being trustworthy with ourselves, and then we trust others. So join me in the last segment as we talk more about 
these different capacities and constructs, three components of trust, and we talk about how to be a trustworthy person. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Join me in the next segment. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me. And if you are just tuning in, I want to make sure that you can listen to this show in its entirety. It is on the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. And the main page, just go to the top. There's a listen button. Hit the listen button. It'll take you right to all the shows. And this one is on trust. This is Do You Trust Me? Trust, the good, bad, and the ugly of trust. So make sure that you listen to the entire show. So this last segment, we are really talking about the definition of trust. And there are three what we call constructs of trust. And a construct is, think about a pillar of a building. It holds it up. And so I like this gentleman, Dr. Dwayne Trey, Tway, and he, is, he, has a, he has a great dissertation on this idea of trust. And he defines it as the state of readiness for unguarded interaction with someone or something. The state of readiness for unguarded interaction with someone or something. This is an openness to the world. This is how children are. They are open to their world, and they're believing the best about their world unless they've been taught differently. So he calls a construct of trust because it has three main components, and this is the capacity for trusting, the perception of competence, and the perception of intentions. And so thinking about trust as made up of the interaction and the existence of these three components, it kind of makes trust easier to understand. So when you think about the first construct, the first pillar of trust is your capacity, your capacity for trusting. And that means that your total life experiences have developed your current capacity and willingness to risk trusting others. So if you've had a difficult childhood, if you've had lots of relational failures, and you've kind of gotten upside down where you see the world as very dangerous, you want to think about asking God to help you with capacity. You want to say to him, Lord, I know that I'm not going to enjoy the life you've given me and be able to fully enjoy other humans and to truly know you more deeply if I can't trust. So you're going to ask him to help increase your capacity. One of the ways you increase capacity is you have to heal from many of the things that caused you not to trust. So if somebody has betrayed you, if you've betrayed yourself, what will happen is you will have a tendency to project that onto God. And you'll see God as someone that's not trustworthy. So these are areas that you want to say to God, I want to trust. I do have faith that you are who you say you are, but I can't and haven't experienced you as that. So I want to trust. The next one is, after we have a capacity for trusting, it's our perception of competence. And this is made up by your perception of your ability and the ability of others to work or perform competently at whatever is needed in the current situation. In other words, 
the perception of competence says, you're going to do what you say you're going to do, and I can trust you to do it. So if you say you're honest, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that you're honest. I'm going to believe, I'm going to have the perception that you are competent in following through with those things. And the last one is that helps the first two is the perception of intentions. And Dr. Tway, he defines this as your perception that the action, words, direction, mission, decisions are motivated by mutually serving rather than self-serving motives. In other words, you're not suspicious. So you're not constantly checking and looking to do the checks and the balances. Do they really mean what they say? Are they out to get me? Are they setting me up to steal from me? And if you feel those things, my goodness, there's reasons why you would feel and think that way. That doesn't just, you're not born that way. So you're born to trust. That's how humans are are made. That's how God makes humans. So we have to be taught not to trust. So you want to think about, well, maybe, you know, I can, I can, you know, really trust maybe in somebody's competency, but do I trust their intentions? See, that's different. So if I hired this person, I hired a tax accountant, maybe I hired a new manager, hired a babysitter, right? So I know they're competent because I've had other people refer them to me. I see their success level, so I know they're competent. But are their intentions, can I trust their intentions that their competency is going to actually help me? Are they good? Are they honest? Are they forthright? And see, these are the things you want to be thinking about. Do I have the capacity to trust? Am I able to perceive levels of competency accurately? Do I give people the benefit of the doubt? Or do I require that they be perfect in their competency for me to trust them? And am I able to trust and think the best of humans? Or do I automatically think they're evil and have to prove that they're good? So trust is best established in truth. And truth is the basis for psychological health and wholeness. So we discussed earlier that the first stage of psychological development in all humans is trust. So can I trust the one caring for me? Can I trust the world? See, truth helps me trust. This is why God takes lying so seriously. One lie can take down years of trust. But trust can be rebuilt. Trust is like a muscle. It can tear. It can be weary. It can be tired, but it can be exercised with appropriate, appropriate levels of stress. It can be exercised and strengthened. So the power of trust is immeasurable. Think of the power Adolf Hitler had because people believed in him, had faith in him, and trusted him. Think of the power that the enemy of your soul, that Satan, has over you when you are willing to believe his lies. In contrast, think of the power you give a child when you believe in them, when you believe in their potential and their abilities. Think of how empowering it is when you trust a friend, when you trust your spouse or your partner. And even if they let you down, you can still encourage the trust by saying, you know, I trust who you are. I don't always trust what you do, but I do trust who you are. 
We trust your intentions. So one of the most valuable things I teach my patients is the issue of trust. I teach them how to trust, who to trust, when to trust, how much to trust, how to keep on trusting, how to heal when they've been let down, and how to be a trustworthy person. The first thing I do with any new patient is work really hard on ensuring trust. Because I can't make any changes in their life. I can't help them change and heal if they don't trust me. So we all know how it feels when our trust is broken or when we've broken another's trust. So more than anything, I want to give you a chance to be a trusting person again. As you begin trusting, there's a great payoff. And there's healthy risk-taking. We're not doing blind trust. So without trust, I can't receive or feel love or authentically give love. Now, why is that? Because mistrust withholds. Second guesses is paranoid, suspicious. All as a way to protect the self. And we don't realize this only sabotages the effects of healthy trust. When I'm not able to healthfully trust, I cannot truly feel hopeful or confident. I'm constantly second-guessing and doubting. And it inhibits all my relationships. It inhibits my sense of belonging. It results in the feeling that I'm not truly wanted or liked because I can't really trust intentions, right? And I'm going to struggle with fulfillment and connectedness. See, when I struggle with trust, I feel mostly pleasure or pain. But I don't feel fulfillment. I don't feel hope. I'm bouncing back between trying to get a good feeling and try to assuaging the bad feelings. See, there are no shades of gray, and which means that my inability to trust means that I need someone to be perfect in order to trust them. It means I watch everything. Every moment determines whether the person is trustworthy. I'm constantly deciding if they are. Okay, they were yesterday, but are they today? Versus having the ability to trust until trust is broken. See, this person lives to avoid pain, the one that constantly is suspicious. They're always in survival, and it usually results in pleasure-seeking behavior. They're usually surviving, not thriving. The person that is willing to trust first has a lot more fulfillment in life, even if there is some pain and disappointment. See, remember, we're not infants, nor are we little children. So trust is a choice. Children don't have a, tr have a choice. They have to simply trust because they can't trust themselves. So if trust was broken or not perfect, which is inevitable to some degree, considering we're cared for by imperfect, mistake-making adults, right? We know that our past does not have to define or determine our future. We have the choice to learn to trust and trust well when trust is broken. So let me give you some examples of what we look at when we are wanting to see what a trustworthy person is. So how do I become a trustworthy person? Because it's admirable, but it's desirable. 
And it's a trait that other people look for in, per, in a person, and it's confirmation that you're reliable, supportive, and honest. So number one, you be a positive force. You be reliable and keep your word. You be honest, even when it's painful. You be compassionate, kind, and considerate. And you keep confidences in secrets. You don't gossip. This makes for a good friend, and so you need to make good friends. And then you want to rid yourself of those negative behaviors. Like, don't deceive people. Don't lie. Avoid gossiping, rumor-mongering, you know, doing those innuendos, those looking at each other like really seriously. And apologize when it's needed. And make that a sincere and humble apology. You maintain the long-term relationship in place of a short-term gain. So you're not looking for perfect. You're looking for a mistake-making person that's trying and that's willing to accept responsibility for their mistakes. So staying trustworthy, okay? Realize it's a journey. It's not an endpoint. And it's a valuable asset to your life. So be strong. Believe in yourself. Validate what is good in you. And remind yourself that God is a God who does not lie. 2 Samuel chapter 7, 28 says, Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy. You have promised these good things to your servant. Psalms 9 verse 10 says, Those whose your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God bless you. I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for all the activity on social media. I love to hear what helps and what you need. Have a blessed week this week. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember... Be your own best version. Yeah.